fuck it, let's do it live. Oh shit, it's the coin toss. One surprise topic off the rip. Two sides of a coin. Trey, heads or tails? Give me heads. And it's heads. Nice All one, right. Trey. So Definitely a real coin. Definitely <laughs> right a real here. coin, man. That's You are grasping that very tightly. I'm impressed. It's a real coin every week, and it, I'll really take the ball this week. All right. Well, I guess it's startup season. So since we're doing a tight end episode, Trey, let's say Pitts is off the board, and it's your pick. You're taking a tight end. Which tight end are you taking as the tight end two in a startup? Man, uh, well, if you had asked me a year ago, I definitely wouldn't have said this guy, but... Uh, Mark Andrews, I think, has to be the number two tight end overall after the year he just had. Um, I know that things were weird in Baltimore last year, and they kind of had to rely on him more than I think anybody expected. But you can't just discount the, you know, 28 percent target share and and all the work he got in the red zone. So I think it's real. Uh, I think he's a a top two (laughs) tight end for Dynasty and He's probably a little bit closer to Kyle Pitts than all of us want to admit. So I'll, I'll go with uh, Mark Andrews there. All right, Tarek, who are you making a case for? Yeah. Uh, so let's go with George Kittle, right? Um, he is still only 28 years old, 24.9% target share last year, including 17% of the red zone share. That was number two in the league, uh, number one in snap share. He does block a lot, but that, you know, that means he's going to be on the field all the time. Uh, he had 27.5% target rate, which was number four. Basically, he is still a top-end elite tight end, just like Mark Andrews, just like Kyle Pitts. But what separates them for me is the the intangible fact that George Kittle is the best tight end in the NFL uh, talent-wise. So, yeah, give me George Kittle over Mark Andrews as my tight end too. And that's definitely my real opinion. And I definitely don't have Mark Andrews ranked tight end too. Definitely. I really want to hear John's real opinion here. You, you go in Kelsey Waller, the old three-sided coin. I was, uh, I must be out of loop. I know I've been busy and I haven't been following the news. I guess this is breaking news. Travis Kelsey is dead. So who knew? Like, Jesus I, Christ. Jeez. Wow. <laughs> He's not dead. He's just 33. Yeah. Oh, well, I hope he's not dead because I'm like 36 now. And uh, and I I, yes, I did just equate myself to Travis Kelsey. We are equal athletically. And John Zeus Alexander, (laughs) you're you're equal in your separate fields, right? Yeah, he's really good at football and I'm really good at something else. (laughs) Tune in next week to find what else John is good at. As I do some research to figure out what I'm good at. What the fuck is happening all? Welcome in to the Long Game Dynasty podcast, a weekly roundtable discussion about Dynasty fantasy football. I'm your host, Tarek Angriti Benshuya. With me, as always, John Alexander, Trey Cryan, and Mitch Yates. And John, you know I got to go to you first because you weren't here last week. How was the Austin FC game? It was great. And I got to tell you, I'm a real degenerate now. I just I just signed up for my first MLS fantasy league. So oh. watch out for my soon to be MLS 
Dynasty Fantasy Podcast. It's going to be a are, solo project, that's for Y'all sure. are welcome to guest. You might be my only listeners, too. <laughs> I hope you're not planning on infringing any of our uh, the long game IP with your uh, soccer spinoff there. It's going to be the long soccer game dynasty, and it's going to be uh, a little C next to it. I'm going to copyright it before you get a chance. It's got a nice ring to it, dude. Yeah, you might want to <laughs> workshop that. I got a couple of buddies that play Premier League Dynasty Fantasy, and they're very into it. Um, so I hear it's fun. Like I hear like the transactions of Premier League Dynasty Fantasy is like on a whole other level. It's essentially like very salary cap based. And I, I mean, I know you can do that with fantasy football as well. But I don't know. I guess, hey, there's global appeal there. Maybe we really should start uh playing dynasty premier league so that we can get in that that european market do you think they call it european fantasy football because we definitely had fantasy football first i know the the whole Mm. sport contradiction here fantasy football that's that old football soccer conundrum Hmm. Mm. Hmm. you know so hang on a second so I don't know about you guys, but I've never done a fantasy league that had the salary cap in it before. And honestly, I'm a little salary cap curious right now. Oh, me too. Uh, well, you, know? you guys should really help me out because I'm in way the fuck over my head. And uh, actually, one of your <laughs> friends leagues, Trey. So uh, we'll, we'll talk numbers. We'll talk numbers later. Yeah. Siggy invited you to his long running uh, salary cap dynasty league, right? I successfully got last, but I did tank, so I got some good players here, um, and a like a huge budget. So I'm ready to just New Jersey Jets that bitch. <laughs> Half the guys in our show league, shout out to them, are in a salary cap league, and uh, yeah, that that shit is way over my head. Um, but yeah, I am definitely salary cap curious. Mitch, what's going on with you, man? Oh, just another day, man. Ready to record this pod. Hope we don't fuck it up today. I know it's uh you no, know, we got some cool listeners, cool new listeners. Thanks to you, bud. Uh your your spot on uh the breakout was awesome. Love to see you there cheating on us. You, you know what? And like we're looking at your face right now and like everybody else knows what you look like now. How does that feel? I know. All my my pics on my Twitter always had a towel over my head. So now people are gonna know what I look like, which is, you know, a whole whole other level, but yeah. I mean, yeah. Shout out to Abby and uh, the guys over at the breakout. It was a fun conversation. I think that pod is releasing on Friday. We talk rookie running back. So check that out. Trey, uh, let me actually just ask you about uh, the pressing news of the week. What do you think about Aaron Rodgers getting all up in his feelings on Instagram uh, a couple nights ago? Man, he's so annoying. That, that <laughs> He's so annoying. Like, will you just shut up already, dude? Like, unbelievable the 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 thing on instagram where he posted the picture where it was like uh Devonte adams on one side and like randall cobb on the other and he wasn't there in between it like come the fuck on man so i'm ridiculous. so glad i have no idea what you guys are talking about <laughs> oh yeah yeah stay um, offline mitch uh, well <laughs> I, I mean at this point it sounds like the packers will back up the brinks truck for him again just to convince him to stay so you know, if I had to bet, I bet he's still in Green Bay next season. But, you know, I'm not going to bet on it. I guess I'm with Mitch on this one, because when I saw this in the show notes, I assumed we were talking about his, the thing about the anal cleanse. I have no idea what this picture thing is, though. <laughs> I purposely did not look it up because I was like, dude, I, I just don't care. I, I don't want to know. I don't care. Yeah. Was he on a podcast or something? Was it the the 
Pat McAfee show? Is that what it was? Yeah, he's there every week, man. Okay. He's there every week. Him and his bros. Quarterback in residence. They're just like us. <laughs> just like <laughs> Those John, bros. anyway. Aaron Rodgers. He's just like us. Yeah, exactly. Same with Travis Kelsey. Annoying as shit. <laughs> oh, you're you're calling him old and now I'm old. I get the joke now. You guys suck. <laughs> Who is who's closer to death? This is off the fucking rails, baby. <laughs> this is the most off the rails an intro has ever gone, but let's get it back on track. So what are we doing today? We're rounding out our series, reviewing those 2021 rookies. And today we're talking tight ends, which has some pretty high value guys at the top and some intriguing guys that round out the list. But obviously, you know, that's not going to take a whole lot of time. Uh, so in the second half of the show, we're going to be backing up a little bit and talking about prospect evaluation adjustments that we're making going into previewing the 2022 class. And we'll talk about that when we get there. But for now, let's get it with these rookie tight ends. And the first tight end that was drafted in 2021 was Kyle the God Pitts, drafted fourth overall to the Atlanta Falcons. He finished the year with 68 receptions for 1,026 yards and six touchdowns. Oh, wait, uh, I'm being told that he only got one touchdown. Mm. Never mind. So. Wow. Uh, John, Pitts is the tight end one for all four of us, and he hasn't moved from tight end one on keep trade cuts since early October. It's kind of insane. So what do you think about Kyle Pitts' rookie season and about his value relative to other non-tight end assets because we all know that he's already the the dynasty tight end one so i i've given this a lot of thought and the the touchdown thing that doesn't bother me that's going to come with time i'm not worried about that at all but if i was to re-rank the rookies uh the non-quarterback rookies like one qb league i'd still probably take jamar chase number one definitely take him not probably (laughs) definitely (laughs) i'm taking javante two but then i'm taking kyle pitts three i think he's right there um, in any any format, and then and that's that's not a very interesting question. The one that's more interesting to me is where do you take him in a startup? And I think Mitch was ahead of the game on this, and I wasn't there yet, but I am now. I watched him do this in several startups last year. Uh, Kyle Pitts, he's not a first round talent, not in not even in tight end premium leagues, not just yet. Uh, and I'm I'm thinking super flex here, but I think you take him in the second round. Whatever your mm-hmm. pick is in the second round, that's where I'm taking Kyle Pitts. So you ask me. Where do I take him in relation with the other guys? I'm still taking a quarterback in the first round, but in a tight end premium, PPR, doesn't really matter to me. I'm comfortable taking Kyle Pitts there anywhere in the second round. What do y'all think of that? John, I I think you're too low on Kyle Pitts, man. You're going like, to take him in the first round? I think what we saw out of Kyle Pitts this year, and granted, it, it depends a little bit on your format, right? And I know most people are pay, playing super flex, tight end premium leagues, and depending on how many, you know, running back receiver flex spots you have, maybe that changes the math a little bit, but I would say in like the majority of dynasty leagues, he is probably worth a back end first round pick in the startup today. Cause I mean, like he's in the same tier as Jamar uh, Chase and Justin Jefferson and, and Jonathan Taylor at this point, he's gotta be man. Come the, on. Okay. So I I'm closer to John on this one and I see what you're saying, Trey, but the the holdup I have here and where I have to check myself is I don't think Pitts is the tight end one in redraft yet. And if he's not quite there yet, I don't think I'm comfortable taking him in the first round of a startup. Like, I still think I'm taking Kelsey or 
um, Kittle or Andrews over Pitts and redraft. And so I'm going to pump the brakes a little bit. I, I took him like mid second round last year, and I'd wager to say that I'd feel much more comfortable doing that than taking him over um, a quarterback or uh, the players that you just mentioned, Jamar Chase, Jonathan Taylor, players like that. I feel like DF Bean Counter, Drew Ozenchuk, he was very in on fading Kyle Pitts, especially in startups last year, because you're essentially drafting him at his ceiling. And mm-hmm. while Kyle Pitts is an elite tight end prospect, you're paying a premium for him by drafting him in the second round of startups. And his best outcome is that, you know, he's the tight end one and that he uh, moves up to the late round one right so i mean i i I kind of can see both sides here like i think drafting him at the end of round one kind of assumes that even though he's the dynasty tight end one he's already arrived at elite dynasty producer year in year out so what do you think well i think he's definitely arrived at the elite producer level so i mean even if he isn't necessarily your tight end one i think he absolutely needs to be in the same tier as Mark Andrews and and Kittle and the uh and it's really probably just those three but uh and the fact that like those other guys are you know anywhere from five to ten years older than he is I think it just means that you can bank on that positional advantage like year in year out and just lock in that spot in your your lineup like every single season going forward so there's a huge positional advantage there because of the scarcity at the tight end position which is why you know I I kind of go back and forth on if I would take him over Jamar Chase and and Justin Jefferson even, you know? And this is elite company too, guys. Like, he is still all of our tight end one. Uh, he had 1,000 yards, 68 receptions, right? Like, there's no debate whether he's the the tight end one tier. I Yeah, he I, was top three in air yards, air yard share, receiving yards, yards per reception. Like, he had an elite year. He just yeah. didn't have the touchdowns, right? So, and in, in addition to what Trey was saying, it's not just that he's already arrived as a producer. It's that the value insulation is going to be elite for years to come, even if he has a, another down year in year two. And you, you mentioned the at uh, DF Bean Counter uh, take from last year, which I, I honestly, I don't disagree with because when you're you're drafting him with your you know, fourth overall rookie pick, like you are uh, basically drafting at the ceiling already. You're pricing in all of the risk of him coming in and struggling as a rookie, but he just came in and had a thousand yard uh, receiving tight end season, which so he removed all doubt. There's none of that downside risk is there anymore. It's all upside from here. Uh, I would beg to differ just a bit, though, and not in regards to him, but in regards to Matt Ryan or whoever else they're going to trot out there. Like with the other tight ends, with the other top tight ends, I I like who's hucking him the ball a little bit better. And so 2022 is just not an exciting year for the Falcons or for for that offense for me just yet. Yeah, I don't know, man. I mean, we saw what Tyler Huntley and, you know, Mark Andrews were able to do last year. We saw what Jimmy Garoppolo and George Kittle were able to do last year. So I think whoever's playing for Atlanta will be in the Huntley and Garoppolo tier at least. Shit, I'll take Huntley and Garoppolo over. You'll take Huntley and Garoppolo over Matt Ryan. I, that might Fuck be a step yeah, too dude. far. <laughs> I don't know about that. I think stick a fork in him, man. <laughs> Let's move on to the next guy on our list, and that's uh, Pat Fryermuth, drafted 55th overall to the Pittsburgh Steelers. He had 60 receptions 
497 yards and seven touchdowns. So Mitch, uh, as they like to say on the fantasy footballers, the Muth got Luth in the end zone <laughs> a lot with 20 red zone targets, which was number one in the league. So with that kind of work, I think we can expect higher than average TD efficiency. But what's your read on Patty F moving forward? Yeah, let's call him Patty Ice since we're still talking about Matty Ice here. Uh, <laughs> no, he's uh, what you said, number one in red zone targets as a rookie. That's eye popping. Uh, it's not sticky, but it's definitely... Definitely an outlier there. The 13% target share and 9.8 air yards is below average. Um, his points per game were 16 amongst tight ends, right? So it's 9.5 points per game, blah, blah, blah. Um, I think that he is pretty good. And uh, the problem is he's going to be ranked right where he was ranked and right where he is ranked. He's ranked uh, number eight. But if you look back to where he was drafted, he was... Uh, tight end 11 um, June last year or so he's even after this season he's only gone up three spots um, I don't wow I'm surprised that he was tight end 11 in June that's crazy yeah so I thought like, he was more I think all of us had him like tight end 19 and that's yeah, coloring we were, my perception I think we're a little bit lower as a group not all of us we were as a group but you know as surprising as that is like this is kind of why I preach against drafting tight ends. I, I think like, and I've said this before on the pod, like there's that three-year adjustment window. And like if they exceed expectations, they're they're going to be more valued like Pat Fryermuth. But I mean, it's not like they're super insulated either. He only went up a, a couple spots after exceeding expectations. So, um, I you know, I'm not actively looking to get this guy on my team unless I'm like ready to make that move and i i don't tend to add a tight end until one of the last pieces when i'm going for it and so pat like if you drafted him great but nothing's screaming by and i, I don't think you're going to get as much as you want selling him either i think he's a hold I, there are questions about who's playing quarterback next year and are they going to play him the same way that ben roethlisberger was playing him but he definitely earned the starting spot on his team and there's something to be said for that so I think we've seen this year in particular, like tight ends six through 16, those are, you know, flip a coin like it could be anyone. So Pat Fryermuth, he might be eight right now. He could end up, he could easily be six next year. He could easily be 16. So yeah, he's a hold for me as well. Um, but I like what I saw. I think he's definitely going to be a starter next year. And it just depends on who's throwing, throwing him the ball, right? Yeah, I think I think I'm not worried too much about the Steelers quarterback situation. I don't know if we've really talked about this yet, but Ben Roethlisberger was so bad the last two years. I, I have to think that like whoever they bring in, like just can't be substantially worse than Big Ben was, especially this last season. So um, I wouldn't fade him because of that. The The thing that's kind of sticking out to me is like if you look at keep trade cut and his ranking, he is like a tier or two above guys like Noah Font or excuse me, uh, Noah Fant or uh, Mike Gusecki. And I think both those guys could easily outscore the Muth next year. Uh, so I am I just don't think like he sh those other guys in his tier should be so far below him in value. So I, I think there's plenty of like, you know, plus value moves you can make within that tier to get a guy like Gusecki in a piece at this point. That makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. When I was preparing for this episode and kind of looking over 
his target share numbers and how much of his numbers were reliant on touchdowns. Right. I actually moved him down a spot and and put Noah Fant back over him because, you know, we care about athleticism when it comes to tight ends. And Noah Fant is an elite athlete and he's been an underrated producer through his first three years. Right. So um, Muth. While I like him, while I think he's going to be a serviceable tight end for a long time, he's a slight sell for me right now. Like I, I think he he has really positive market sentiment from what I can tell, and I think if you can, like Trey said, get one of the you know the players with the elite athleticism below him plus a piece, uh, that that screams sell to me. I think we've been saying that for a long time about these guys that are six through 10. I think we had a similar conversation about Mm -hmm. Dalton Schultz not too long ago. I think that's just a good strategy in general with these tight ends here. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, full disclosure, I, when Muth was kind of on his touchdown streak, I did buy in a little bit. Like I moved him up to tight end seven, right? I moved him up above Noah Fant. And I think I did kind of buy into the hype a little bit more than I maybe should have reflecting on the season as a whole. I think what we're missing in this conversation, though, is like, sure, those top six tight ends are like an absolute advantage. But these dudes, like anything after six, like, for example, Dallas Goddard, uh, he was tight end 10 through seven for like the past, what, three, four years. And people are just waiting for that breakout. But even if he breaks out, he's he's going to be like tight end five, tight end six. Oh, the break, the breakout happened once Zach Ertz left. Let me tell you. I know. Yeah. But I'm saying we're we're not talking about the the top end guys and like yeah. the youth is not that so like right. you know pick your whereas favorite I whereas I think Dallas Goddard I'm sorry my bad Mitch oh you're yeah. good I I know you love Dallas Goddard and like <laughs> the, the the point is though that Dallas Goddard's ranking hasn't changed much over his entire career and so even if Muth is producing like he, he's just gonna be kind of bouncing around those spots that we're talking about so. Mitch, I, I hear what you're saying, uh, but I do think part of that is just because we have this log jam of top end talent uh, that is still playing, you know, past 30. So it, it is very possible that guys like Goddard, even Pat Fryermuth here could be ranked ahead of someone like Travis Kelsey or even Darren Waller next year. Uh, you yeah, know, as they age out. Right, right. As they age out of that top tier. I think that's I think that's very close. Although once they age out, what we're going to get that kid from Georgia, right? That our mm-hmm. friend Kyle likes so much. Brower. What's his name? Bowers. Yeah. Bower. Yeah, Bowers. Yeah. That kid is. Uh, That's three years from now. We could all be yeah. dead by then. Well, and we'll <laughs> get uh, baby, baby Gronk from uh, Notre Dame too. I, th- I thought Friar Muth was baby Gronk last no. year. What <laughs> Everybody is baby no, Gronk these there days. There is one baby Gronk per year. Dude fucks. He's got so many kids. Bro. <laughs> you, the trick is to identify the, ba- the particular baby Gronk each season. So there's one every year. Michael Mayer. All right, guys. Let's move on. The next two guys, they were kind of often mentioned together in the 2021 rookie prospect process. So I kind of want to group them together here, too. Uh, The first guy is Hunter Long. Um, I like to call him Long Hunter. Picked number 81 in round three for the Dolphins. He was only active in seven games. He ran a route on 3.6% of the team's pass plays. So he basically did not play at all. The other guy that was often mentioned with Hunter Long was Tommy Tremble. He went two picks after Long in the third round to the Panthers. He had 20 receptions for 180 yards and a touchdown, and he also had a rushing touchdown. Trey, 
We know with tight ends that we have to be patient sometimes, and we often want to latch on to guys who have decent athleticism and decent draft capital. Both of these guys kind of check those boxes, and they did very little in their rookie year. But are you rostering them? Are you trying to roster them? What do you think about Long and Tremble? So I think both uh, Hunter Long and Tommy Trimble are still holds right now. So they're developmental hold uh, prospects. And, you know, the reason I liked these guys a lot last year is, uh, you know, for the reasons you mentioned, they both had really strong relative athletic scores. They're both 85, 85th percentile or better. Uh, They both had that third round draft capital. And for uh, Hunter Long, at least some really, really solid college production to go with it. So you know, I still subscribe to the three-year plan with these rookie tight ends. Like, if you're going to draft them, you kind of have to expect a, a pretty steep learning curve. And as long as guys are, like, showing progress over time, then I think they're worth holding on. Uh, now, I recognize that they didn't really show anything their rookie years. So if somebody comes along and wants to pay you for one of these guys, like they've already broken out, then, you know, by all means, go ahead and flip them. Uh, but... um you know, I don't have high hopes for either of them in year two. Uh, for Tommy Trimble, he was a super raw prospect coming out of Notre Dame. Uh, he's somebody who I actually think compares really well to Dawson Knox, who just had a big third-year breakout. He definitely needs to continue uh, developing as a tight end uh, and just get more involved in that passing game. Hunter Long, he could benefit from that coaching change. They've got Mike McDaniel coming in from San Francisco. He could also benefit from Mike Gusecki signing elsewhere or them trading Devonte Parker somewhere else too and opening up some more targets. I was kind of always weirdly like a Tommy Tremble guy, and it was so narrative-based in like when I was doing the process. I mean, we're going to talk about process adjustments in the second half, but I feel like I looked at Tommy Tremble, I looked at his draft capital, and I looked at his relative athletic score, and I was like, this looks like George Kittle. And that was kind of like the the running joke throughout the preseason for me is that Tommy Tremble is the next George Kittle. And, uh, you know, I feel like doing the stupidest victory lap of all time because Tommy Tremble outproduced Hunter Long in their first year. (laughs) But yeah, Mitch, what do you think? I I think that's so funny you said that. uh, One of our listeners, Kevin, I asked him because he's a Panthers fan. I was like, what are, you, what are your thoughts on Tommy Tremble? I asked him that a little bit earlier today. And he was like, I think he's the next George Kittle. Oh, yeah. And I was yeah, like, a Panthers fan. Would I, say I just that. go, oh, okay, bro. Like, <laughs> yeah, but, let's see the Dawson Knox breakout first and then we'll hope for George Kittle. Yeah. Right? Yeah. yeah. Well, look, I, I think, Trey, you're right. I think it's a hold either way and flip if somebody is here to buy. Like, right. This is why, this is why I don't invest in these dudes. They, they just take up space and, if eventually one of them breaks out, put the money on the table. Till then, uh, save your roster space, but don't don't drop him. Yeah, John, we know that out of the four of us, you're kind of the tight end stash guy. So what do you think? Uh, yeah, he's definitely not a flip for me. Like if you are flipping these guys right now, like you're doing it wrong. If you're going to take the the draft pick to take this guy, then what you're committing to is setting him at the end of your bench for three years, like Trace said. So, like, no, he's not a flip for me. Neither of these guys are a flip for me. Holding them both, hoping for the best. If it doesn't work out after three or four years, I'm dropping them. But no, don't flip them at this point. Wait wait for the breakout and then flip. Cue the Titanic ending song there. <laughs> My heart will go on, go, Mitch. Going down with the ship. 
Well, look, I mean, they're, they don't cost very much right now. Right. So it's not, it's just really the, the most expensive thing is the, the roster spot at this point. So, right, right. um, yeah, I, I really think if somebody does come in, like they have already broken out and like, they're willing to give you like a second rounder for the, either of these guys, then, yeah. you know, smash, smash. <laughs> right. But, but that's, like, yeah. yeah, what are the if, chances? Otherwise, yeah, they're long holds for sure. Yeah. I mean, the concern with a guy like Tommy Tremble is that he might just be like an H back, right? That mm-hmm. doesn't get much work and just blocks or whatever. But it was encouraging to see him get involved a little bit and at least like outperform Ian Thomas. But I, I shall digress from my Tommy Tremble love. Let's move on to the next guy, Brevin Jordan. Uh, this was another <laughs> guy we kind of had a running joke throughout the 2021 preseason super athlete Brevin Jordan because he famously bombed his pro day. Uh, he, he was a fifth round guy to the Texans. He finished with 20 receptions for 178 yards and three touchdowns, but he didn't start playing until week eight. So John Brevin Jordan is ranked as the 2021 tight end three on keep trade cut and tight end 17 overall. How do you feel about that market value? Uh, well, he was startable at points last season, uh, but he is my he is my 2021 tight end three. That's true. Uh, but at tight end, did you say 17? Yeah, 17. On yeah. Keep trade cut. yeah, that's 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 not right. That's too high. <laughs> like he's he's definitely the three yeah. three year breakout guy. Like I've got him at 21. He's he looks like a tight end, a low end tight end two right now. Like I wouldn't expect anything from him next season. Uh, what I do, there's a few things I do like, like I like that he developed a relationship with Davis Mills and I like that there's not a lot of competition there next year. So I think he's going to get, I think he's going to play a lot next year, uh, but I don't expect any sort of major breakout next year. So if you've got him, hold him like he's a good stash. That's, that's how I'm viewing him. Just like the last two guys we talked about. So yeah, he's probably overvalued on keep trade cut, but not significantly so. I don't know that he's super overvalued. I actually think the tight end 17 is kind of fair just because of how young he is. Like he's only, you know, three or four months older than Kyle Pitts. So yes, the the fact that he did have that really poor athletic testing kind of suggests his ceiling may not really be that high to, you know, be worth holding. But it, with somebody that young, like they could develop, you know, and, and he definitely surprised me because he was somebody who I was absolutely fading because of that poor pro day. And I just... I got to think he was just hung over that day or something. <laughs> <laughs> well, guys, I actually want to set the record straight here. So the Mr. Athletic joke actually came from John and me talking up how he could rely on his athleticism. And Trey <laughs> called us both out live on the pod saying, what the fuck are y'all talking about? Like his pro day it was, was pretty awful. funny. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But <laughs> I actually agree with Trey. I think that tight end 17 is just fine. And. I also agree with John because tight end 17 equals tight end 21. It's all the same. It's all the same shit. Like when you're that far down in the tight end list, put whoever you want at tight end 17. And I don't think it's a bad bet to put Brevin Jordan on tight end 17 either. I mean, what? Like keep trade cuts got him worth a third round pick, a late third pick. That's completely fair and reasonable. Late third, yeah. If you want to go get go get your guy, go ahead. Pay a late third. Who gives a shit? I ain't paying. But, you know, I, I think the price is reasonable. I'm kind of rising on the third round in 2022, honestly, um, because I think there's going to be a lot of running backs in that range uh, that I think could return some value. But but, I, you know, 
I wouldn't do that readily, but I think the value is fair, right? And I think where we're, I, as you mentioned that conversation, I kind of recollected it. And the way that we kind of resolved it was like, well, his tape at Miami demonstrated more athleticism than <laughs> right. his testing did, right? right so right. that's kind of a cop out, but I think it's to a certain extent true. That's all we and, you know, a 23% target rate when he's on the field, it's not elite or anything, but it's pretty good for a rookie tight end, you know, who, who didn't start playing until week eight. So, guys, you know, wait and see. Before we move on, over under Brevin Jordan, 500 yards receiving next year. Oh, I'll go ahead and take the under on that. Just play the probabilities. Yeah, I, would, I I think he's I think it's under, but I think he could reasonably have 30 to 40 catches next year. I'm, I'm taking the over. Oh, okay. all right. I'll take the under. Mitch is the only believer. All right. So uh, before we do our halftime segment, does anyone have like anything to say about the following list of guys who do register a little bit of dynasty value? There is Noah Gray, who plays for the Chiefs, Kylan Granson over on the Colts, Jacob Harris for the Rams, and Trey McKitty, a.k.a. McTitties, for the Chargers. Anything to say there? All I would say is don't cut any of them at this point. Like, let them show who they are. They haven't had, none of them have had a chance to reveal themselves yet. Stash them. I feel like Jacob Harris has his truthers out there. I'm not one of them. Trey's raising his hand. Uh, I'm one of them. I, I, I... Look, he's to be determined, and that's all I got for him. Um, Noah Gray, no. It's funny because out of all four of these guys, Noah Gray is ranked the highest on keep trade cut, which surprised me too because I prefer the, the other three. Yeah, because everybody thinks everybody thinks Kelsey's like a year away from retirement. I, I So the reason I like Jacob Harris is because he was a fourth-round pick to the Rams uh, out of Central Florida, former wide receiver, great great athletic profile. So if you're going to go for a late round guy, go for somebody who's an awesome athlete. Uh, unfortunately, he missed most of the season due to a torn ACL. It wasn't because of a talent issue. So, you know, there's very much still an opportunity for him to come in, back next year and, you know, work out an um, you know, a piece of that offense, because I don't believe in the guys ahead of him, like Bryson Hopkins or uh, Tyler Higby or whoever. So Ooh, hot um, take. Uh, yeah, out of the four of those guys, Jacob Harris would be my number one. I, I'm kind of out on Gray and McKitty, too. I think those guys are cuttable, but I, I get where John's come from. Jacob Harris and Kylan Granson were both like preseason heroes, so maybe maybe still worth the stat. The thing about Granson was that the whole draft day, like they called him up like, you were the guy we wanted. We got you. We're very excited. The Colts were very much like, this is the guy we want. And Jack Doyle's retiring, right? So there is going to be an opportunity for him. Is that official? I just heard it was a rumor. He's going to retire because I said he's going to retire, Trey. <laughs> I thought he retired last year. So you know. <laughs> Yeah, I thought he's been retired for a couple years now. But... Granson, Granson did get a, quite a bit of playing time last year. So he's, he's interesting, too. All right, mic check. For it is halftime. And hey, you know, we're rolling right now. So let's keep it with the tight ends. Those corn fed boys in the middle of the field. Mm -hmm. Free agency is coming up in three weeks, guys. And the tight end market is actually low key deep this year. So I want everyone to give me a tight end free agency wish cast. Trey, what you got? All right, so I'm wish casting 31-year-old Zach Ertz to re-sign with Arizona and for his teammate Max Williams to walk in free agency because 
I don't know if you guys saw, but Ertz has top five upside in that offense as the main tight end. He had more than seven targets a game in his 10 games with Arizona last season. So he's definitely still got it. And right now his keep trade cut value is tight end 16. I think that's really strong value. I think this is kind of similar to Mitch's uh, Rob Gronkowski situation from last year. So I think that whole offense could improve with Kyler Murray and DeAndre Hopkins healthy next year. Yeah, I mean, he's really only useful for a contender at this point, but I think the upside is totally there for one more year. Zach Ertz re-signing in the desert. Okay, slight slight difference being that Gronk is like a top five tight end of all time, but you know. <laughs> Ertz was pretty good for a long time, though. And Kyler loves him some Ertz too, man. Yeah, he, he earned some target share with Hopkins out, that's for sure. All right, uh, I'll go next. And I'm kind of coming out of left field with this one because I haven't seen any chatter about this, but give me OJ Howard to the Jets. And I've mentioned a few times, and I think a couple of y'all at least agree with me, that I remain excited about the Jets' offensive future. And I'm hoping they draft a receiver at pick 10 and obviously hoping they pay a tight end to come in and be a weapon for the baby Jet. Zach Wilson. This isn't even necessarily for Howard's value, to be honest, which is already super low. He's essentially free. It's to open up that offense even more. And admittedly, Howard is, he's kind of a player I can't fully quit. So OJ to NJ, uh, if he's not going to go to Dallas. Uh, gross, Tarek. OJ Howard sucks, bro. You know this. Uh, <laughs> no. <laughs> uh, speaking of a guy that sucks, though, uh, I would love to see David Njoku go to the Chargers. Uh, he's sitting at tight end, uh, what, 19 on keep trade cut, and he's a dude that I think could actually break out into the top 10 next year if he chooses the correct team in free agency. I mean, the poor dude's been rotting in Cleveland. Uh, like OJ Howard, Njoku was a first-round pick, uh, he put up 9.6 points per game in 2018, booking him tight end 10. So, like, you know he's capable. He's big as fuck, 6'4", 246. He's fast. Uh, and he's probably not going to command as much money as his other free agent tight ends like Dalton Schultz, who I think would be, like, the obvious choice for the Chargers. But I think if Njoku goes to the Chargers, man, he's going to be fantasy gold, and he's basically free right now. Yeah, I think any tight end that goes to the Chargers, if they do sign a free agent tight end, is going to fucking skyrocket in yeah. value. Well, like you, I can't quit me in Joku. I've pretty much got him at the bottom of every roster. So there, There's precedent for that because Jared Cook, you saw his value go sky high last year, right? Yep. I mean, honestly, it did relative to where it was. It did. Like, I know you're being tongue-in-cheek there, but Jared Cook became you know, somewhat valuable. But John, what do you got? Okay, so let me just recap here. Trey, you said Ertz. Tarek said uh, OJ Howard. Mitch said Njoku. What the fuck, guys? Come on. <laughs> we haven't talked about the best guy yet. That's Mike Jacecki. And I think everybody says, hey, send him to the Chargers. But I'm not, I'm not on that boat. I think he would love to end up in Jacksonville. I know what you're thinking. Dan Arnold's in Jacksonville. Yeah, but he sucks. Well, okay, fine. <laughs> he was serviceable at times, but it's clear that Jacksonville needs a second tight end. And Trevor Lawrence, he needs another downfield threat. Jacksonville has over $50 million in cap space, so I think we should all expect them to be active on the free agent market. Jacecki is a freak athlete that profiles more as a slot receiver than an inline tight end. So 
Jacecki wasn't getting enough downfield work from Tua. All the short stuff, he was getting downfield there. So he could never catapult into that top six range that we were talking about before. If he's with Trevor Lawrence and he's getting that downfield work, I think that's the move that could get him into that range, the top six kind of guy. And it would also give T-Law a physical receiving option that the team currently lacks. So I think that the result of Mike Jasicki going to Jacksonville would be greater than the sum of the individual parts there. Um, so that's what I'm rooting for. Isn't like LaVisca Chenault's only selling point right now that he's physical? <laughs> <laughs> well, he plays in the slot and he's physical. So go LaVisca. Well, that's the funny thing about Gasicki and Dan Arnold is like they're both almost entirely pass catching tight ends. Right. right. Like, yeah. yeah. So basically what we're saying is Mike Jacecki, go ahead and just go to Nashville, bro. That's exactly what I said, Mitch. That I, I know. That's what I was just trying to reiterate the, you know, the AFC South love there. <laughs> I think it might have been Ian Harditz. I, I apologize if I uh, referenced that wrong. He wrote an article essentially lobbying that Mike Jasicki should get wide receiver designation for the franchise tag uh, if they decide to do that, because he's a he's a receiver. Yeah, you know? yeah. like he doesn't play tight end. Well, That's the fair. Dolphins love playing it by the book, man. Oof. True. <laughs> Oof. Well placed, Mitch. All right. So, yeah, Z- uh, Trey's got Zach Ertz to re-sign with Arizona. Uh, I got OJ Howard to the Jets. Um, Mitch has got David Njoku to the Los Angeles Chargers. And John's got Mike Gesicki to the Jacksonville Jaguars. And these aren't predictions. These are wish casts. So throw your penny into the fountain for us, boys and girls. Hashtag would be cool. All right. Let's kick off this second half. So. Like I said, uh, we're we're done with the 2021 prospects and kind of reviewing that class. Good job, guys. Starting in two weeks, we'll be diving into 2022 ahead of the NFL draft. So kind of in the wake of reviewing the 2021 guys, I wanted to spend this part of the show asking each of you to give the audience a way in which you're proactively looking to improve or adjust your process for evaluating rookies going into 2022. And we can kind of have that as the preamble going into our next series this next month. So Trey, let's start with you. All right. So just thinking on last year, this was, you know, right after we started up the pod, I definitely had some big misses going through the rookie eval process. So I, I had a pretty heavy fade on Jalen Waddle, which obviously was wrong. And uh, I was a big Terrace Marshall Jr. fan and uh, that didn't do anything. So um, I did have some late hits. Uh, I, I felt like I was banging the table for guys like uh, the Muth and uh, uh, Ramondre Stevenson and Elijah Mitchell. So I'm all you know pretty happy with how those uh, picks worked out. But mostly the guys that were really my guys got hurt so the jury's still out on guys like ETN and and Shoddy B. So, I mean, process-wise, it was a mixed bag. I'll make some tweaks here and there, but mostly I think my rookie eval process is going to be fairly similar to last year, at least. Where I do think I can really improve is looking at how I stack up my rookies versus my vets. So this time last year was really my first time writing down and maintaining rank. So I, I've now I've got a year of experience in my belt, and I think I've got a better idea how to go about approaching things. So you know, for example, looking at running backs, I was definitely too low on Najee Harris and Javante Williams versus the veteran running backs out there. I mean, and both were great rookie prospects and we knew it at the time and both of them ultimately ended up hitting, but I had Harris as low as like running back 11 or 12 and Williams like 19 or 20 as late as like August, right before the season started. So 
you know, that meant I ended up with zero Harris or Williams shares in any of the startups I did last summer. I only did three of them, but still. So maybe this is just like totally hindsight analysis, but I think there was a point in time last year where you definitely could have traded a guy like Ezekiel Elliott for Najee Harris or uh, David Montgomery for Javante Williams. I think that was possible and it would have ended up returning some awesome value. So I just want to be a little bit more aggressive, especially with the rookie running backs and where I rank them against the veterans, while also recognizing that this incoming class isn't necessarily as strong as last year's, you know, as indicated by the Lance Airline grades that just came out. So, you know, just kind of being a, a little bit more thoughtful and a little bit more aggressive about where I slide those guys in with the vets that are, um, you know, known entities at this point. Yeah. I mean, that's an interesting caveat at the end, right? Because what we saw from the Lance Zerline grades, and we'll talk about this here in a couple of weeks, is that this running back class is the weakest we've had at least since 2019. So it, you know, I think Brees Hall, if he gets a good landing spot in high second round draft capital, I think he's got a good chance to be, um, you know, the next Najee Harris or Javante Williams. I'm not going to project that as his median outcome. Right. But I think outside of Brees Hall, uh, it, it might be hard to be aggressive. Right. But I guess it's all relational, you know, being aggressive on a guy like Kenneth Walker might be like having him running back 16 instead of where the market has him at 21 or 22. And and so I want to go back to the, the Monty versus uh, Javante uh, discussion. Cause I do think there was a point in time where that was open for debate, you know, which one should be ranked higher. So for sure, you know, what we had seen in the past was even if Monty smashed and ended up with a top 10 season, his value wasn't going to incrementally move up or down. But with Javante yeah. Williams, it would have been obvious. I think we all would have agreed if he smashed, which he did, that his value would skyrocket, which it did, you know? So like, there's just a little bit more upside with some of these incoming rookies than the vets that might be in that same range. Yeah. And Javante only had to smash to like the second half of the season. Yeah. He only had to smash to 50% of what he could possibly be to get up there. Right. Yeah. Trey, I think that's really valuable for all of us because I don't think that any of us here at TLG use that as part of our rookie evaluation. We didn't put them straight up into the, uh, the big board, if you will, of all the players. And I think John was also trying to approach that. Uh, that's a project that we're all going to work on here. And I think that's going to be a really exciting project for us to just to grow and get our process even more refined. Absolutely. And it's critical to do that before the rookie draft, you know, because that way you, you get that real valuation of what your picks are worth. Yeah, I think pre-NFL draft, the one prospect that we were like significantly higher than the market on was Jamar Chase. Yes, so absolutely was. I, that, that was definitely a right call. We had him as a wide receiver one before the NFL draft, and he was like wide receiver 20 on DLF. And we thought we were high for having him at 10. Yeah, we had him at 10, and yeah. in retrospect, that was way too conservative. Well, we fucked up. <laughs> what are we, why are we victory lapping? We were wrong. All right, so let's move on to the next kind of process adjustment here, and we'll do Mitch. What you got? Well, I, I think it's kind of funny because we did these independently, but it, it's fun how it blends with uh, with Trey's here and probably with y'all's analysis too. Like, we've been doing TLG for a year, so we've all been tinkering and trying to formally assess our process and just trying to see how we can get it even better. So reflecting on 2021... Um, I realized that the draft capital severely affected my ranks. And what I mean is uh, 
we would evaluate the rookies. And now when somebody fell in the draft, um, I was less aggressive on that player, even though I liked the landing spot. Good examples of that are like Amon Ross St. Brown. Uh, I think I even said, like, who else are they going to throw it to? So, I mean, you know, I shouldn't have slept on that fifth round draft grade. Fourth. Uh, fourth. fourth, Yeah. Draft capital is important because just because we think somebody's going to go higher, like I believe our running back ranks uh, had uh, Kenneth Gainwell going in like the second round. And when he dropped all the way to the fifth, uh, all of us here were kind of like, oh, what did we do wrong in our evaluation process? And maybe we didn't really do anything wrong in that process uh, because the way that the Eagles used Gainwell wasn't really as a running back. It was used as that receiving back that he was in the pre-draft process. So he carved out a nice role for himself, and he's actually uh, exceeded that. So this year, I'm going to let my ranks hang on a little longer and let the uh, the process just kind of drag itself out a little longer. Um, I am not going to be nuking a player just because they dropped from round three to five. Now, in the first two rounds, like, I I think that's a good representation of how good the player is. This is more for, like, third through fifth round players. So, Mitch, you're saying, like, you'd be willing to move a guy up if he moved up into, like, round two from your projected round three or something. But if he falls three to five, you're not going to necessarily move him down for that. Right. And so, uh, Mitch, I think there's a really, I think there's a really strong example from last year's draft that kind of backs up what you're saying here. And it's that second and third round of receivers that went off the board. I mean, think back to some of the names that were going in the second and third round. It was like Tutu Atwell and Cornell Powell and uh, Josh Palmer. It was like guys that weren't even on the radar. And some of those guys were, but not really at least going that high. And I think all of us were fairly disciplined about not shooting them up our own boards just because they went a little bit earlier in the draft. And look at how that turned out, right? Like that was ultimately definitely the right move. So, you know, I I do think that what you're kind of teasing out here is your pre-draft analysis matters and you should just totally throw it out the window once that, you know, the actual NFL draft happens. And landing spot matters. And so with Sermon, I feel like we got that half right. We were excited that there was a running back going into that system. We were excited that he was drafted in the third, and we were like, fuck yeah, Shanahan's going to use him. And we were right about Mitchell. Well, we were wrong. About the landing spot. Yeah, the landing spot was great. We were right about the landing spot in regards to Mitchell, right? So um, keeping that in mind, like just because somebody was drafted a, a round later, if they play the same position, you know, I'm going to be paying a little bit more attention to that as well. So you're telling me there's a chance with Tylen Wallace? No. <laughs> there's always a chance definitely no, i mean I, I this is this is tough for me honestly because draft capital is just such an important input you know it's like it tells us what the nfl thinks about this player so i struggle with it because i hear what you're saying like and i hear how trey brought up tutu atwell and anthony schwartz and all these players that we didn't necessarily rocket up our ranks but it's really hard for me to let go of draft capital um, in relation to my pre-draft process because I just I rely on the NFL telling me what they think a lot. You know, I think that comes back to just the way that I evaluate things like I'm a tape guy. Right. So mm-hmm. I'm grinding on the tape 
Um, and we use DLF. I, that's a great resource for tape. Um, it's not just highlights, right? Like it's it's all the tape. So it gives you a, an actual perspective on said players. So um, just going through the process there, it, it's just, it's so beneficial. Yeah. I mean, we could do a whole segment on the importance of draft capital. And I definitely do not mean to like throw that out the window at all. But I, I get what Mitch is saying is like, let's use it as one of the, you know, multiple inputs that we use in our evaluations. Remember when Kelvin Harmon was uh, 2019 wide receiver one before the draft? <laughs> vaguely, vaguely. Jeez, was he really? A lot of people what, had what, him there. Did he end up going in the fifth round? He, I think he was a sixth round guy. Or fifth or sixth. Might have been seventh even. Yeah. Now he's a tight end. <laughs> All right. Uh, I will go ahead and give my uh, kind of process adjustment here. And it's actually pretty simple. I am going to start waiting strong receiver prospects over mediocre running back prospects because the general understanding is that running backs are more valuable because of scarcity and the fact that top end running backs contribute to winning more than top end wide receivers in fantasy. That's essentially been borne out. But I think there's a general tendency based on that assumption to move running backs up the rookie boards with weaker profiles, but, you know, maybe only one or two interesting inputs in their profile, right? So last year, we've talked about it a lot. I fell victim to this with Trey Sermon, who I, I was comfortable drafting him around 112 if I needed a running back. And to a lesser extent, Michael Carter, who turned out fine, but process-wise, I, I still think it was uh, flawed. So the year before last year, it probably would have been Keyshawn Vaughn. Before that, maybe someone like Justice Hill or Darwin Thompson. And so this year, I'm just not going to make that mistake with whatever running back gets taken late day two or early day three and becomes kind of the consensus running back four in that class. So the running back that's not named Brees Hall, Isaiah Spiller, or Kenneth Walker, because while top end running back production is important to winning, mid range RB2 production is entirely replaceable and having the strong receiver prospect like Elijah Moore, like Rashad Bateman, will more times than not bring more value to your roster. And that puts you in position to make the best moves. Like, you know, I bring up Rashad Bateman, who kind of had a bust rookie year because of injury, but his value insulation has been really good, right? So I, I'm I'm going to not fall into the same trap that I've fallen into for admittedly like three years raising mediocre running back prospects over the strong receiver prospects speaking my language i love it i mean it's with like the value insulation like you mentioned you know like the the downside uh is really low with uh these wide receivers i mean i guess the the counterpoint to that would be terrace marshall who just absolutely f like face planted off the earth but who <laughs> i mean this happens every single year people are just so hungry for like running back talent that these guys always get uh dragged up the boards and you know, we just have to be mindful of that and uh, not fall victim to it again. Yeah, I think my last my last biff was uh, Justice Hill, and I uh, I I whiffed hard. I I actually took him one pick after I took Kyler Murray in a one quarterback league. In a one quarterback league, and you know, I felt okay with Kyler, but oof, that one hurt. And I mean, Tarek, you're absolutely right, man. Like, there's no reason to to post these guys up, like. Now, when you say top prospect 
wide receiver. What do you what do you exactly mean by that, though? Like what's separating uh, the the wide receiver top prospect there? Yeah, so I I meant like strong receiver prospects, not necessarily top prospects like Elijah Moore wasn't a top prospect. And and essentially what I'm pulling off of and we mentioned him earlier in the pod is DF Bean Counters prospect profiles, which is essentially like a bulletproof receiver prospect is more valuable than a coin flip running back prospect. So I guess what I'm asking then, what about like Rondale Moore over Michael Carter? Would you have advised like Rondale over Carter? Yeah, like this year, honestly, if I'm taking this process adjustment into effect, thinking back on last year, I would have drafted Rondale Moore over both Michael Carter and Trey Sermon. Now, obviously, in hindsight, Rondale Moore is more valuable than Trey Sermon and less valuable than Michael Carter. So whatever. But I think as an overall process, it's smarter to take the uh, strong receiver prospect over the mediocre running back. Because if Rondale Moore has a decent stretch of games and Michael Carter kind of falters in his second year, I think the value increase that you're going to see on Roundale Moore is a lot more stable and insular mm-hmm. than the fall that you would see from Michael Carter just because of the way that these prospects um, shake out in sentiment. Yeah. And the other thing with Rondell Moore is he's right in the low wide receiver 40s range right now. So like, you know, 40 or 41. So even a year later and, you know, basically having one big play, you know, through his full rookie year, like he really hasn't dropped all that much. One play where the coverage was broken. Yeah. Well, and <laughs> he broke some coverage too, but you know, there's still plenty of uh, truthers out there that are still buying. I like him. He's our favorite guy to talk about on this pod. Well, definitely one of them. All right, John, why don't you close us out with your process adjustment going into 2022 rookie evaluation? Well, I think it's fair to say that I watch more college football than anybody present here. So I've got a pretty good idea about these guys. Um, But that's not to say I'm perfect. But what I've kind of, instead of being retrospective, I've kind of got an eye to the future here. I've seen the breakout of guys like Debo and Corderell. Patterson. And I'm kind of thinking about guys who might fit that hybrid role. And the reason is the NFL is a copycat league. So it's pretty simple. I'm just keeping an eye on guys who kind of fit that hybrid mold. I've identified one guy so far in this next coming draft who fits that running back wide receiver role. I'm not thinking like this is a guy that's at the top of my board or anything, but we should keep an eye on that because if it works on one team, it's going to, other teams are going to try it, right? So Debo is probably an outlier. Patterson is probably an outlier, but other teams are going to try it. So who are the guys that are, who can serve as a running back and a wide receiver? I want to identify those and I want to be aware of them. And that's the major difference between this year and previous years. Things I've never really kind of thought about that before. Well, you started to see teams dabble with it towards the end of the year, like the Lions were doing that with Amon Ross St. Brown. Um, I think a few other teams were were messing around more with the, uh, not necessarily jet sweeps, but like straight up runs to the yeah, wide the receiver, receiver right. out of the backfield. Yeah, right. Yeah. Elijah Moore even was getting some of that work throughout the year. Well, Ty Montgomery was one of those guys, you know, got, turned the clock back five, ten, or five or six years. Well, your guy, Curtis Samuel. Like, you know, is that you'll never let go, right? 
I, well, I, th I still think he's that guy. And that's why go. he's still on a lot of my teams. I think he could still be utilized that way. There's one guy in the draft that I've identified so far, and I think that there's probably more. So that's You're something teasing, I'm man. You got to at least give yeah, us the are name. Are just going to tease us? Out with it, damn it. <laughs> okay, so Kentucky, uh, Wandale Robinson. He, okay. he used to play okay. at Nebraska. He transferred. He played as a wide receiver and a running back in Nebraska. He played mostly as a wide receiver at Kentucky, but he can serve both. He he's uh, he's a lot like Rondale Moore in that way, but he's more of a wide receiver than Rondale Moore was. So let's let's just put a little asterisk by that. Let's revisit it in the future. He's currently my wide receiver three in this class. Whoa! Yes, we okay. will we will revisit revisit Wandale Robinson. He's an analytics darling for sure. I love Wandale, even though he left Nebraska. So that's how you know that I love him because he left Nebraska, and I still have him as my wide receiver three. What he's saying is he's also never going to let go. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I agree with the premise here. Like, kind of like how basketball went through its, like, positionless phase and, like, moved toward more point forwards and small centers and stuff like that. I think this is something that's actively happening in the NFL where teams are going to be valuing these hybrid guys more you know, Percy Harvin was ahead of his time, right? right? For sure. If Cordero Patterson came into the league today, you know, he might have been doing what Debo Samuel is doing. Oh, we'd be so. losing our minds if he came into the league and did that for the Falcons this year. Another guy, hey, I'll I'll put I'll put a little bit of a flag on Rashad White, who's who's probably the biggest pass catcher running back out of this draft. Uh, a lot of questions, but so so here's the funny thing about this though is like th doesn't this also kind of lend itself to just being labeled like a gadget guy, you know? Like somebody who needs manufactured touches to So and I know we've it's, talked about that as like that's like a pro and a con, right? Yeah, the perception might be shifting, though, right? Yeah. Well, John also mentioned that the guy's a good receiver. So, like, I think in this situation, this guy's also playing wide receiver and getting looks at wide receiver as well, not just, like, the gadget guy that, like, runs routes but is never targeted, you know? Like the Devin Hester kind of thing. You know who's a good example of this is Rondale Moore, you know? Because he, like... Came in with this awesome athletic profile and he, uh, you know, had the like 18 year old breakout age, his rookie year at Purdue. And he really did have like some great college production. And, and yeah, I think I mentioned it on this pod. I was really hopeful he would get that running back usage out of the backfield in addition to the slot receiver role. And it just turned into, you know, barely any playing time, unfortunately. I, I look forward to our conversations moving forward. Tune in in a few weeks. Yeah. For sure. Yeah, John really trying to put a put a cap on this podcast. <laughs> He's like, I gotta go to bed. I'm an old man. <laughs> He's 36, guys. I just turned 36 though, so I'm still young. <laughs> I remember on our 2021 rookie preview saying something like pretty much verbatim: "If Cliff Kingsbury cannot figure out how to utilize Rondale Moore, he will forever cement himself as officially the fake sharp." So, yep. Cliff Kingsbury, you are the fake sharp. And on that note. Uh, that's going to do it for episode 45 of the Long Game Dynasty podcast. We did it. We reviewed all the 2021 rookies. Uh, let's go into 2022 with uh, a little bit better process, y'all. See you later. See you. Bye-bye. You're on notice, Cliff. No, I ain't